You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. And Charlotte and company. On wow. cue. Those dogs barked on cue. The minute the show opened, there they were. Welcome in to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. I'm Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and our producer is Justin Jones. We'll be joined at 12.15 by Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7. That's good news. Concerning Alabama, I'm becoming concerned about Malachi Moore's high ankle sprain and James Burnett and his muscle pull. Uh, Lars, you got any inside information? Right now, it just says it's a game-time decision. Uh, I think... Uh, as good as Burnup is, uh, Reichert can take that position. But high ankle sprains, ju- uh, Lars, they have been throughout my career a real booger bear, as Wimp Sanderson would say. Yeah, uh, they're very difficult to o- overcome in a, in a quick fashion. And it may behoove uh, Coach Saban and the staff to uh, maybe sit Malachi for this game, uh, you know, just to give him another week of rest. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 Malachi Moore, though, he, he's so important to what Alabama does on defense, and he's played so well. He manages that, that back end from the safety position. And so, um, you know, we'll just have to see, uh, his availability. And, uh, and, and the same goes with, uh, uh, punter James Burnup. Um, have to see if he is going to be able to go, uh, from everything that Nick Saban said on his teleconference this morning, that both of them are going to be game time decisions. And, uh, if obviously Burnup can't go, you'll, you'll, will Will Reichert, uh, um, thrust into the punting duties and uh he did so well against a&m uh and will is he's an nfl kicker right uh we all know that and uh uh he's in i think the kicking game is in good hands if burnham can't go but uh my guess is that Malachi Moore will probably sit, but uh, that's just a complete guess. Uh, and I, I, I know you've had high ankle sprain before. I have too, and it's just uh, it's a tough thing to overcome. Well, it's not anything you can operate on immediately. Although, am I thinking back a couple of years ago? Was it Young or two? I, I, it's Tua. I Tua. Tua. They did, that actually yeah. had a, a little operation on it. Mm-hmm. And he was able to come back really fast. And that was uh, something that uh, I think the Alabama staff kind of pioneered, that, that concept of, uh, of God, I forget, the, it's like the Is loop. It that, something, a ribbon? Or, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was, I had never heard of it, and I'm certainly uh, no prominent member of the medica, medical field, but uh, I do remember thinking I'd never heard of that. Um, but something that they did along the top, you know, the high ankle. I'm not even going to try and go into this because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I do remember it, though, and I do remember it working very quickly. But I've seen high ankle sprains on athletes last five, six weeks, some even longer. It depends on the person. It depends on the type of sprain, and it depends on their rehab. So 
I'm with you. I don't know anything. Please, folks listening to Big Noon Sports, we're not on the inside on this particular topic. But my guess is it being a really iffy injury, sitting and and holding on for Tennessee and LSU and the games upcoming. And yeah. that's throwing a little shade on my piggies, which I don't like doing. <laughs> Um, and by the way, um, you know, you look at their record and you go, uh-oh, Sam Pittman, and they're in trouble. Man, they're not losing by much. I mean, they they should have beaten Ole Miss. You know, they yeah. got Kiffin. Um, that was this past week. And several other games have been close as well. So, uh, KJ Jefferson. KJ Jefferson's yeah. outstanding quarterback. Outstanding quarterback. I, I know he, he hasn't had the year that we expected so far. But uh, they could remedy a lot of things on Saturday, and uh, and man, it's 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 the really rare home SEC game morning kick. <laughs> it, uh, this hasn't happened uh, since 2016. Uh, the first this is the this first time since 2016 that Alabama's played a morning SEC game at Bryant Denny. Uh, and that was when, uh, back in 2016, when Mississippi State came to Tuscaloosa for an 11 a.m. kick and Alabama won that one 51 to 3. And, uh, Nick Saban was asked during the teleconference today, you know, what do you do earlier or what do you do different for the earlier kick? And he said essentially, hey, I just, uh, I tell the players, you gotta, you gotta get, get everything moving quickly in the morning. Everything happens fast. The pregame meal is early and you gotta be ready to go. And uh, clearly the schedule that he has mapped out has worked because the Crimson Tide under Nick Saban has played 26 games with kickoffs at 11.30 or earlier, and they are 26-0. and 0. Um, And also we all know, we know that uh, the Arkansas game on Saturday is homecoming. Yeah, and that, guess what? And, it, and, and the parade, the homecoming parade starts at 7 a.m. 7 a.m., uh, Alabama hasn't lost homecoming game since 2001 to who? Nick Saban's LSU, uh, squad. And, um, so, you know, it, it, the, the schedule is a little bit different. Uh, and you know, coaches hate that. They hate going, doing things differently. I think Nick Saban would prefer the, that 2.30 kick every week. But, um, yeah, this is going to be an, an early one. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully everybody has fun and stays safe because it's going to be a long day. <laughs> Pace yourself. That uh, that homecoming festivities, you know, I I guess they've been in place and they couldn't move them at the last moment. But it seems like you could try and do that on Friday now. But I'm not organizing that. And the people that have are going, Matt, you idiot. How could you possibly reschedule a parade when everything's set? Um, I don't know. But that's tough. It's tough what, on the uh, fans. Um, it's what tough. was homecoming like for you? Did uh, when you were at Alabama? Did you guys like go on panty raids? <laughs> anything oh, like that? You don't panty. <laughs> what do you? Know? You don't know anything about the pranks at college. You don't I panty don't. Raid and, uh, maybe you do. We didn't. Um, <laughs> I didn't. My, we're at, at Saint Olaf. We didn't have fraternities. There was no Greek system, and so uh, well, was, I, I, was I missed glad. out a lot. Well, you know, we had floats and we had, uh, we would make these lawn decorations, which are just, it was always a couple of fraternities that started like five weeks in advance and theirs were perfect. 
and then you had ours and we tried to make a big bear like for coach bryant and you put up all this chicken wire and you've got to make the shape and then you have to hand poke little pieces of crepe paper in every one of those in all these different colors and we got this big bear and it it looked cartoonish. It did not look like a bear. It was just, I'll be honest, and I apologize to my fraternity brothers if they think differently. It was laughable. And then a big wind came up. I think it blew our bear over in the street. Um, but later when I went back and I was working, I actually, um, we put together a TV production in the late 70s, and that was something. And we carried the... Uh, parade live on local tv and i was the anchor of it it was really really cool and it was much better than that big bear that fell over hey um, everybody loves a parade yeah they do i, I love i, I, I love a, i love a parade i love uh in new york uh I, the, the macy's thanksgiving day parade was so much fun it was always so freaking cold how long did uh, it last well the best part was on wednesday night uh, and they would have kind of a, a blow up the float party, uh, just a couple blocks, a, clo- a couple blocks from where I lived. I was at 89th and Central Park West and this took place at like 76th and Columbus. And, uh, you know, people just be, be drinking like wine cocktails and, and just watch the floats get blown up. And it was, it was cool <laughs> for like little kids to see, you know, get up close and personal with the, with the floats with, uh, especially like Woody Woodpecker. Um, and Snoopy and, and, uh, and then, uh, and then the parade was always just a, a, a good, good time. And I watched those on television. The Rosedale parade, you know, it was all just fascinating. I would still go. Although if it gets really, really cold, I don't know if I can stand that, but they still have one that, uh, rolls down the streets of Vestavia. Did you know that? I did not. You need to take your. I'll, I'll to take. That. Yeah, they I'll take the crew. Big kick out of it. Yeah, um, and that's that's a whole lot of fun too. It's just fun for adults and kids and people of all ages. Uh, hey, when we get back, uh, let's talk about everybody's favorite Olympian. Unfortunately, mm. let's do that. Uh, Mike Rodak uh, had to move his time back to one o'clock so we'll talk to him and by the way that really opens up our phone lines let's push them let's talk them just give us a call you can talk to Lars myself and Justin the number is 205-342-9904 we can talk Bama and we can talk Mary Lou Retton as we will when we get back Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cloudy sky, the chance of some light rain at times this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 75. Tonight's low, 58. Tomorrow becoming partially sunny, the high, 72. Friday, occasionally cloudy, a chance of widely scattered showers, the high, 76. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Portions of our program are being sponsored by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker, Advantage Realty Group. She'll be with us Friday, Lars, as we broadcast live from Innisfree. It's our Friday place to be. Come by 
And I have lunch and a cold beer and get ready for the weekend. It's homecoming weekend, so we ought to be slamming on Friday. I, I certainly hope so. We have been many games in the past. Also, by the way, if you're going to try and win $30,000 on Tide 100.9, go to the app and enter the code 457. That is the code this hour. Lars, before we talk to Mary Lou about Mary Lou Retton, let's talk to Chad, who is dialed in from North the Northwest Alabama, one of my favorite places, Muscle Shoals. Chad, how are you? Doing well, guys. How are y'all doing? It's a wonderful doing day. Great. Good, good. Um, I'm 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 new to the app, and I uh, when I heard that Lars was on this show, I, I had to call in. Uh, a few years ago, my my wife uh, got me a book for Christmas, and it was called The Storm and the Tide. And as I was reading it, um, I put the two names together, and I thought, wow, this is the same guy um, who, who wrote that book. And I just wanted to let you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's as sad of a time as it was during uh, the tornado, how great your book was. And I, I just I appreciate you doing that. And, man, it was really good. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, I think about that book, uh, and not just, not the book, but the events of April 27th, 2011, almost on a daily basis. Um, Jeff Perlman, who's a good buddy of mine, um, you know, a, a, a well-known author, he asked me yesterday, uh, uh, what's the biggest mistake you've made in journalism? And, uh, you know, it, it, this is a tough thing to kind of talk about, but um, it goes back to the cover story I wrote uh, in Sports Illustrated on the um, tornado and how I um, sort of structured the story around Carson Tinker and his girlfriend, Ashley Harrison. And uh, as you'll remember, the tornado just, uh, it, it was a direct hit on Carson's house and and Carson and Ashley and their two dogs were cowering in the closet. And Ashley, um, you know, her her last words were literally, I'm scared, Carson, I'm scared. And then the tornado hit and she was ripped from his arms. And um, in the story, uh, I kind of like leave it hanging. Uh, that's the lead of the piece. And then I kind of get into the other aspects of the tornado and I circle back to Ashley and Carson at the end, and it's now sort of in real time. And I'm standing on the on the rubble of Carson's house, what's left of it. And across the field from where I was standing, there were three cro crosses. And in the in the piece, I said there was one cross for Ashley's dog, one cross for Carson's dog, and one cross for Ashley. And, you know, I, I kind of use that for dramatic effect, right? Because it's the emotional gut punch that learning that Ashley didn't make it. And it really humanized what I was trying to do it was human, humanize the, the, the cost of the tragedy and sort of put a face on, on the Tuscaloosa tornado. But what I didn't do and I regret is employ the one thing that I pride myself on and that is empathy. And I didn't consider how Ashley's mom would view this. And uh, she got really upset because she thought that I was comparing Ashley to the dogs. And of course I wasn't, didn't mean to. 
Um, but I could see her point. And to this day, I can still hear the anguish in her voice. You know, in my defense, uh, I did in the story describe what a wonderful young woman Ashley was and uh, intelligent, beautiful, ambitious. And then in the book, I donated proceeds to her scholarship fund and and encouraged others to do so as well. But, you know, uh, still, it, it still, it, it haunts me. It haunts me. Uh, and it's, it's strange because it's by far the most significant story of my career because I was, I, I parlayed the, the SI cover story into the storm in the tide, which became my first New York Times bestselling book, which then sort of elevated me for no, for it, it elevated me in the eyes of editors, uh, book editors in New York and my agent. But at the same time, I still hear the anguish, right? In Ashley's mom's voice. And we've talked a lot over the years and, you know, she's forgiven me. And it, it's just, uh, it's still something that it, it's sensitive all these years later, all these years later, Chad. Right. Right. So, <clears throat> You know, up until that point, I, I've never been a big reader, you know, even through school and even in college, I wasn't a big reader. But your book, you know, going reading through the book, there were happy tears and there was there was tears of sadness. But because of that, that has inspired me to even read more books. And I want to thank you for that. Wow. That's very cool. That's, um, what a compliment. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, about the best compliment I've ever gotten. Thank you so much, Chad. That means a lot. Well, guys, listen, thank you very much. Thank you for what you do, and I love your show. Well, thank you, Chad. Which, by the way, uh, kind of hanging on the coattails of Chad, you can listen on the app, on the Tide 100.9 app. So keep that in mind. It allows you to listen to Muscle Shows. allows you to live in, you know, listen in Birmingham and all around the world, I guess. But, uh, Lars, what a great phone call. Yeah. Um, Speak to hear. Yeah, you know, and it's it's amazing that uh, how many people it, it really it, it is uh, it's humbling how many people that book touched. Um, I, I think I told you this story uh, shortly after the book came out. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of publicity for it, right? Uh, not just local, but national. And I I took a girl out on a first date, and we walked into Dave's. Uh, in, 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 uh, at five points and uh, a, a woman came up to me and she said are you Lars Anderson I'm like uh, yeah <laughs> I didn't know where this one was going right and she hugs me and starts crying and just telling me how much she appreciated the book and I looked over at the girl who I was on a first date with I'm like yeah this is the normal reaction I get <laughs> when I walk into a bar <laughs> And then, then you make sure you have a bottle of wine sent over and tell everybody yes. else that it was just yes. a fan. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, no, and, but, you know, after the Sports Illustrated story came out, I heard from people in, in China, Japan, uh, all different countries in South America, Canada, uh, uh, Europe, uh, I mean, specifically, I got a bunch of letters from people in, uh, in Paris and, in London. And it just, um, there was just something about that piece. And I really believe 
it was the depiction of Carson and Ashley because yeah. you live through the terror, right? Because Carson was able to remember enough and describe to me exactly what they did that day, right? And, and that's how I kind of lead the the whole story within in the magazine the magazine piece. Was just uh, you know how they were just going about through their day. They they watched a movie, the the never ending story. Carson went out into that field across the street from his house uh, and hit golf balls with the two dogs. And it was like it was his favorite time of the day. And then to have uh, the the dogs and and Ashley end up in that field is just so gut wrenching. And and then you know in the book obviously I expanded it and told more stories uh, and I'm still close with it. Ashley Mims uh, and uh, and Shannon um, Brown. Uh, Shannon Brown uh, they lost their daughter Lauren Brown um, and just in a very heartbreaking way and you know um, that's how I got to be close with Walt Maddox the mayor of Tuscaloosa and I ended up you know working with Walt when he ran for governor. And uh, it just my it just my whole life changed, and uh, and I talked to this about my students. Talked to my students about this a lot. It was like ten days after the tornado, and I was in Charlotte um, doing a story on Dale Hernard Jr. And I don't know why, but I just sent an email to Terry McDonald, who is the top editor at Sports Illustrated. Sent an email to him in New York. And I just said, hey. I'd love it if you'd give me a chance to write something long on Tuscaloosa. Like, I, I don't know what, but just give me a chance. And he responded within like a minute. And he never responds to anybody in a minute. And he said, you know what? You're not going to believe this. An eight-page hole just fell, or eight-page hole was just created in the magazine next week. You got 4,000 words and four days to do it. Go for it. Oh, boy. And, and that was not what I was expecting. So immediately I called Dale. I'm like, hey, we're going to have to table uh, this conversation and this story. And I flew back to Birmingham that night. And the next morning at daybreak, I met uh, one of my former students who helped me do the reporting, Allison Angle, and, uh, and the photographer who flew down from uh, Washington, Simon Broody. And we spent four days just, uh, you know, going into the hardest hit areas. Uh, Nick Saban was so wonderful. He, he had allotted, I think, 45 minutes, uh, to talk to me. And we ended up talking, I think, for two hours and, um, changed and, his life for damn sure. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I firmly believe Nick Saban, he, he was, he was transformed. He wasn't a football coach anymore. He was a community leader. And in that 48 hours or so after the tornado, he embraced and hugged more people than he had in the entirety of his life, you know, because he he kind of represented hope. And Alabama football came to represent hope. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Alabama went on to win the next two national championships and when they beat LSU uh, to win the 2011 title, Nick Saban's postgame speech was very, very brief. He just lifted his arm up, getting, making sure that everybody got quiet, and everybody did. And he just yelled, we buried the pain tonight. What a remarkable moment. 
and book. By the way, they can still get it on Amazon, and uh, you see it on like any Walden bookstore. Are there any Walden bookstores left? <laughs> I think uh, I think it's still like Barnes and Nobles around uh, around Alabama. It it, it it sold a lot of copies. It was a, it was a, it was a good it was a good uh, good seller for me. But uh, it really wasn't. It never was about selling books. It was like cathar. I I wanted to sort of help people through the telling of stories and that's in and, and, and using the power of words and narrative to just sort of give meaning to everything that happened it's hard to articulate but it, it i i truly well, was not doing it any, for me you didn't have any difficulty in the book it is a bestseller read uh, okay so here after all of that here's my one question what happened with the date of the girl of dates i am kidding when we get back, uh, we will talk about Mary Lou Retton. And later, not in this next segment, i got to talk about Jaden Daniels a little bit. I, I, I think he's, if possible, being overlooked. You're licking, you're licking. A little <laughs> difficult uh, time with the old speech today. Sorry about that. This is Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is Big Noon Sports. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. It's Matt, Justin, and Lars Anderson. Accomplished writer, New York Times bestselling writer, talking about the storm of the tide. In the previous segment, Chad, thanks for bringing that up. A tough but very, very compelling topic. Here's very much the same. Uh, Mary Lou Retton is in ICU with a very, very rare form of pneumonia. She's not able to breathe on her own, which you can all just imagine that um, that's, that's tough. That's bad. But as it says here, and as her daughter said, she is fighting for her life. Lars, there are very few athletes. There are very few people that have literally captured the heart of America. And in 1984, on the Olympic gymnastics team, that's exactly what Mary Lou Retton did. And that's why the nation's prayers and thoughts are out for Mary Lou Retton as our mind. I mean, she was our little princess. She uh, was. On the beam. It was just, she was amazing. And, you know, in some ways, it's hard to believe she's 55. 
because she will always be that little. Was she sixteen at the time? She, yeah, she's for, she's forever frozen at, at sixteen, and uh, that was when she won uh, five medals at the uh, eighty four Olympics, including a gold medal in the individual all around. And I was the first in history by an American woman, um, and she was named SI Sports Person of the Year. And, uh, I mean, she just was, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, four foot ten, maybe. Yep. Uh, 95 pounds, brown eyes, bouncy brown hair, size three shoes, and just, uh, a bundle of energy big, and power. Big smile. Big Shoot. smile. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, it was so, cool for me uh in 2016 i was working on a, a long piece on simone biles and i went out to uh uh where was it uh san jose california for the uh women's like olympic uh, gymnastic trials and and uh um i, I mary lou was there and uh i think as a you know as a commentator and I kind of, I approached her, uh, after, you know, after, uh, when there was like a, a break in the events or whatever and just said, Hey, can I get some time with you after, uh, you're done, uh, calling everything? And she was just like, Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. And all of a sudden I, I was 13 years old again, Matt. I was 13 because that's how old I was when in 1984 when I saw Mary Lou Retton just perform her magic. And it was just, uh, it was, and she was just so delightful and just gave me time and, and, uh, it was so articulate and, and she obviously knows gymnastics and just, uh, just, it, it was, you know, it, it wasn't like she was an, an idol of mine or anything, but I certainly uh, just like all of America fell in love with her in 1984. And it's so great when you, you meet somebody all these years later and they are everything you would hope they would be. And that, that's what Mary Lou Retton was, uh, that, that evening in, in San Jose, you know, and we talked for maybe an hour or so. And, um, and just, you know, smiling, just happy, just like grateful, you know, just, uh, just a, a, somebody you just wanted to be around, right? Just this magnetic personality. And none of it was, uh, 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 disingenuous, right? That you saw on television. Like that's who she is. And, um, I, I just hate the fact that, that she's in really rough shape right now and, uh, and, and fighting for her life, uh, and not breathing on her own and in the ICU. And, uh, it's, it's tough to bounce back from something like this. And I, I, my sense is this is a, well, it's not my sense. It's obviously a very grave situation, but what do you have a, just a memory of watching her back in 84? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember watching her winning all the gold medals, and that was really, really cool. But I just got the vision when you asked her if she had some time after her event of her being that little bouncy girl. Yes, oh, of course we're doing it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And she probably was just like that and excited when she was 16. Yeah. She was, and she uh, talked really fast. You know, it's like, yes. it's like she was just uh, excited about everything, about life. <laughs> you know? She was always jacked up on life. Uh, which is another 
reason that this is this is a sad situation. But she's too young. She's, she's too young. We can't lose. We can't lose her. She's too young. Um, she has four daughters. Um, she actually recently, fairly recently, was uh, on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. So. I was actually taken aback by the timing here. I didn't even know she was remotely ill. I didn't uh, either. Until I read this. So, anyway. Uh, big noon sports. Thinking about Mary Lou Retton as uh, we broadcast here on a Wednesday afternoon. Lars, have you looked at uh, Jaden Daniels' statistics? I haven't. And I just had them pulled up. And, of course, I elited them the minute we talked about it. <laughs> Uh, deleted. She uh, is almost 2,000 yards for the year. Uh, 1969, 1,969 yards. He is a 72-73% completion rate. He has thrown 19 touchdowns and only two interceptions. I guess, is he not getting a lot more for Heisman because... LSU's defense sucks. Yeah. Yes. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you know, to win the Heisman Trophy now, you essentially have to be the quarterback on a team that makes it to the college football playoffs. I'm trying to think of the last player who won the Heisman who wasn't in the college football playoffs. I'm sure it's probably it's probably somebody last year, for all I know, but. Um, was it last yeah. year that three of the finalists, three of the four finalists were in? Yeah, I the think playoffs? so. Um, but he is just, uh, he is such a, a, a terrific talent. And, uh, he is, his, his performance really this year has gone, kind of flown under the radar. Um, and, you know, I, people are understanding though that you can't really stop him you can kind of you contain him as best you can but uh he certainly has evolved into one of the country's best quarterbacks no doubt about that if you're just looking at sheer yardage should you or sanders has 2020 Penix has 1999 and there's Jaden daniels uh 1969 he is 51 yards away from leading the nation. So, um, I'm afraid he's going to improve on those numbers drastically this coming weekend. But Probably. the other thing is Auburn should be able to score and score often. I've never seen in my life an LSU defense this porous. Have you? No. I mean, in your life. No. I don't think I've seen it. Oh. Incredible. All right. Um, got a lot of other stuff to talk about on the other side of the break. And in fact, uh, we take a minute and welcome in our new affiliate, which is uh, very near and dear to me. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. 
Hey, everybody. It's Gary Harris. Coming up Thursday morning at 9 a.m. with the Gary Harris Show. Always a packed show on Thursday because we got the coach, Ellis Johnson, breaking down SEC football like only he can. Plus, the Falcons report with D. Orlando Ledbetter. I'll see you at 9 on Thursday on Tide 100.9 FM and 1230 AM WTBC. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 AM on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Under the big... Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cloudy sky, the chance of some light rain at times this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 75. Tonight's low, 58. Tomorrow becoming partially sunny, the high, 72. Friday, occasionally cloudy, a chance of widely scattered showers, the high, 76. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. And we have phone lines open for you if you'd like to join in the fray, so to speak. Give us a call at 205-342-9904. Lars, you're on the uh, large email and text group. That includes a lot of us from Town Square, Tide 100.9, our flagship station there in Tuscaloosa. And one was released here yesterday and then backed up by an article by the thread there in Tuscaloosa about picking up an AM affiliate. And AM is not dead. AM is still a very, very viable radio frequency. And I'm just glad to confirm that WTBC, which is AM 1230, and let me tell you, folks, this was a heritage station, not in Tuscaloosa or in Alabama. This station was known across America because of its programming, its owner, the, the late and wonderful Burt Bank. And it just seemed to, well, it was so close to the university, you could work for the university station. Or if you were good enough, you could work for the local commercial station. And that's how people like James Spann and Dave Baird and myself, if you'll allow me to include in that list, Tom Stipe, and then a lot of other guys like a, a friend of mine named Brock Jones who got out of broadcasting and got into businesses and been incredibly, incredibly successful. And I just wanted to take, but was 
when we started talking about this, all these wonderful memories of working at WTBC right there off 15th Street. Lars, uh, it, for a while it was called the 15th Street School of Broadcasting. Tom Roberts, a longtime news director at WVTM and member of the Crimson Tide Sports Marketing, he was there. Um, but it was back when AM dominated the frequencies and I, the numbers that ratings, rankings and all that that TBC produced for not just a year but many, many years is incredible. And I was fortunate enough when I went back to school and I was working my way through school to get a job at TBC. Now, eventually, I uh, worked from a night job to morning drive and to the program director. And it was, uh, man, you know, they just brought back all these college and radio memories. And I'm just glad that they're a part of Big Noon Sports family. WTBC 1230, welcome aboard. What's your number one favorite memory from uh, your time working there? Oh gosh, I left out somebody very important that you that you mentioned. Kip Tyner was our news director. Oh God! Oh my favorite time. Second most powerful man in Tuscaloosa. Yep, he is the president of the council, and just a darn fine fellow. Oh, he's a great guy. We had a lot of fun having uh, lunch oh, with him the other day. Let me tell you, you could sit down and do that for four or five hours, and it seemed like thirty minutes with Kip. Uh, one of my favorite people, but. Uh, I don't know. We used to have some staff meetings. Some of the, uh, uh, my two favorite stories I can't relate on air. I hate it when I do that because that's just nothing but a big tease that you're not going to come through. I don't know. <laughs> can you, can uh, you give us the PG rated, uh, version of the story? Yeah, I can. Um, there was one time when we came up with the idea for this promotion. And by the way, it went over. Tremendous. We got a deal with a local cola dealership. Um, I remember a lot of Sunkissed. But we would get in our TBC van and we would just drive around in the middle of the summer and we would just show up at at pools. Uh, and gee, imagine us thinking of that at a college mm -hmm. campus to just show up at pools to start. And we would, you know, we would shoot T-shirts into the area and hand out all the soft drinks they wanted. Um, and we had a little thing that's called a Marty, which was how we communicate. And they do the on-air thing. Okay, we're going to the Fountain Blue Apartments pool. We're going here and here and here. And it was a lot of fun to do. It was unbelievably successful. Um, but what we didn't realize is that the frequency for our Marty was also a very similar to the frequency for the Tuscaloosa Fire Department. And so, as you can imagine, a couple of guys in a van handing out soft drinks to co-eds, the, the language might have gotten a little risque. And I remember going into work one morning, I got a call from the chief of uh, the fire department. He says, well... He said, man, some of the language is even embarrassing firemen. I said, oh, my gosh, what are they doing? But uh, that was the tamer of the two. The other one is much better, but I can't tell it either, and I hate what I just did again. But uh, I, I think if I were going to point this out, and it's true of many professions, it was just the personnel and the camaraderie. And that wasn't just for the on-air people. Um, you know, David Davis and Rice Baxter, uh, salespeople and uh, 
Cindy Rosemore, uh, Rosemore, I love you, Lisa, love you. Uh, I could go on and on and on. This was a, a very important part of my life because not only did I grow as a broadcaster, but uh, I was having so much fun, and it enabled me to finish and get my degree. So. Yeah, I didn't mean um, this to go that long. No, no, I, I, I didn't have TBC along. You you make a great point though. The the first job, the first like real job you get out of college, and if you're there for a little while, how important those relationships are that you form. You know, I I was very very fortunate that my first real job was at Sports Illustrated, and you know I started with uh, you know Jeff Perlman and uh, and Seth Davis and, uh, and Paul Gutierrez, who's at ESPN doing a great job. Uh, Chad Millman, who be- became the the top editor at ESPN and ESPN the magazine. Teddy Greenstein, who became uh the lead columnist for the Chicago Tribune and, and like the list goes on and on but we were just kids right and, and, and living in New York and we had to work on Sundays and our days off were Tuesday and Wednesday well everybody else is working on Tuesday and Wednesday so who do you hang out with you hang out with your work buds and we just had so much fun you know all of us were single and and just uh, in, in enjoying life, and and you know, I, I think back to those days a lot, and just uh, I wish I would have cherished it in the moment, the way I cherish it now. Me too. Right? You, 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 you don't know how good it is until it's over. But the the friendships that I made. You know, I, I could call Seth or just any of the, and they could call me, and I would do anything for these guys. And uh, just, I'm just very lucky, just the way you are too, with the people that you worked with when you were uh, just getting started in the business. You were uh, not actually a kid, but you were almost a kid. But you were, you had an adult job, and you know, kind of making adult money. Yeah, and it was. <laughs> It was like, just the greatest conversation. Yeah, it was the greatest I would, thing in the world. I would go back to that era probably more than I would any other. Um, it was just such a blast, and it was it was because of the camaraderie more than anything. Um, loved that. Yeah. Great conversation. Let's get back and talk some Alabama, some SEC football on the other side of this break. If you don't have this immediately into your computer, you should have Bama 24-7 in there. Uh, and yes, because of our next guest, Mike Rodak, but many others as well. He's going to join us on the other side of the top of the hour. This is Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. It's the Tide 100.9 30K Workday Payday. We cash every weekday, 8 to 5. Here's this hour's cash code. 556. Again, that's 556. The code is 556. Enter that code now on the Tide 100.9 app. Click on the 30K payday button and enter the code for a chance to win $30,000. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. 
It is big news. Matt Coulter along with Lars Anderson, Justin Jones. Joined now by Bama 24-7 sports writer, Mike Rodak. Mike, appreciate you taking a minute to join us this afternoon because to say it's your busy time of the year is even an understatement now. But before we get to that, Lars and I were talking a minute ago about our first really full-time gigs in the business and how fun they were and how you hung out with the guys you worked with and then worked with the guys that you hung out with. What was your first deal there, Mike? By the way, good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing well, other than needing a, a new furnace, as we were texting about earlier. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry, I was delayed. That? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know that what? time of year. You're fortunate that it showed up now, uh, as opposed to the first day it goes down below freezing, so... But That's I don't know right. fortune is I don't know fortune is the proper word when you yeah. gotta get a new furnace on any platform. Yeah. Fifteen years time. old, it was time to re- be replaced. But uh I'm doing well. Yeah, it's uh I'm trying to think back to my first it would have been I mean ESPN covering the Patriots, so I was certainly fortunate um, you know, in that regard. It wasn't like I you know, was covering high schools or anything and, you know, having to, you know, find my way around and, and go to high school stadiums at uh it was I was pretty lucky to get what I got um, coming. I was still in college, actually, and then coming out of college, you know, to cover, you know, the bills for free ESPN full time. But um, specific to it was a question about hanging out with people, you know, or just, on the job. Just, yeah, just just kind of like uh, your memories of it. And, you know, were like the older guys on the beat uh, helpful or were they like, ah, just let this new kid figure it out on his own? Oh no, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they they were all great in both places, both New England and at Buffalo. Um, and, and you know, always helpful. I remember um, Jackie McMullen was was really one that um, I thought treated me really well. In New England, obviously, you know, she was on ESPN for a long, long time and um, pretty accomplished, you know, author and um, writer, and you know, covered the Celtics in the nineteen eighties. And I remember we we covered the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. Uh, that the Patriots and Giants played in in 2012, and uh, she brought me, you know, to the tunnel uh, of a Pacers and, and Nets game, and introduced me to Larry Bird, who she used to cover, uh, who was at the time, you know, the GM of the Pacers, and was, um, you know, basically saying, you know, this kid's the the smartest one of our group, and um, she was really nice to me, and I remember took me out to dinner in Indianapolis one night, and ended up having a, a car ride because we had to fly into Cincinnati. Uh, because all the flights in Indianapolis were booked. So we, we took a two-hour car ride from Indianapolis to Cincinnati, and it was Jackie McMullen, Bob Ryan, who was also, you know, one of the, the great names in sports writing, and uh, Chris Gasper, who was also at the Boston Globe, and learned a lot from that car ride. And then, you know, same thing in Buffalo. Um, you know, Jerry Sullivan was the longtime columnist in the Buffalo News, was always, uh, you know, eager to have my back, and if there's anything going on with the team, he was always, uh, would you know, very quick to defend me. Yeah, I, I uh, worked with Jackie at Sports Illustrated, and gosh, she's just, like, the nicest human being, and I, and, and it, it's mm-hmm. so wonderful when people who are that successful, like, always take the time to help other people, and uh, um, just, uh, Jackie's just, uh, the pro's pro, just love her. Love her. Um, what, what did you learn? Like in that car ride, like did you learn just sort of like 
how to cover things or just how to how to kind of interview or was there anything specifically that you took from you know not just that car ride but but with that Jackie taught you I mean I firmly believe that when you're a young reporter you learn so much just by watching uh the the veterans on the beat I mean I guess it's like that in any profession Oh yeah 100% and you know I certainly I've tried to be you know graceful with my time as well not that I'm old by any means but you know there's obviously younger you know sports writers who are coming up and I as much as I can I try to uh help them out but yeah I mean I think not that necessarily applied to me you know being a, a man but I think for for Jackie it was she was revolutionary in her business um to be a female sports writer 40 years ago um you know and it was difficult in, in some regards just listening to her and you know obviously you're um, covering a bunch of male athletes and, and covering a business where, you know, things aren't, um, you know, it's not necessarily always, you're not always treated with respect. And so, you know, I learned a lot from her on, on that regard. And um, like you said, she's such a professional. I think a lot of people grew to respect her. I remember going to that, that Nets game and you walk out and um, not only Larry Bird, but the Nets GM would walk up and, and shake her hand and uh, the officials from the game and, um, you know, the assistant coaches on the bench, I remember, were even, you know, waving to her and she was respected, raised respected by everybody. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of being around them, like you said. And, um, you know, it, you just, you think you learn too, like some of the behind the scenes conversations that they have with people who they cover and how they handle certain situations that might not be out in the open, but, you know, there's always some level of negotiation and, and I don't want to say bartering, but you know, there's, there's back and forth that goes on behind the scenes in our business. And, um, obviously they, they've done a lot of that over the years and, you know, kind of pick up on some of that too. All right. Let's uh, shift to football. Do you know any more than I've read uh, online about Malachi Moore and James Burnham? Yeah, I was slightly surprised. I asked Nick Saban on his um, conference call this morning about them, and he basically said game time decision, which seemed pretty optimistic um, on the Malachi Moran, given that um, you know it was a twisted ankle by Saban's own words. But just visually watching him in the stadium on Saturday, he was having a whole lot of trouble just getting off the field, and then um, he tried to walk out of the you know the injury tent on the sideline, and, and really couldn't, and they had to cart him off. So. Uh, I think it's safe to say that's a, a fairly severe ankle injury, whether it's officially a high ankle sprain or not. You know, for him to come back the next week, I think would be shocking. Um, and I, Saban even said that they're approaching this as if they won't play, especially given his position and the mobility that you need uh, with your ankle and, you know, running in the open field. I, I would just doubt that he plays. It's Arkansas. Again, it's one of those games you can probably get by without him. Um, you know, might he be back for Tennessee? Like, I, I wouldn't rule it out right now, but there's also the the open week coming after that, and so maybe it makes the most sense just to have him wait till LSU. Um, and then, you know, burn up again, I think they can get by with, with a different punter, whether it's Will Reichert or whether it's their walk-on Nick Serpa. Um, and that was the same situation where, yeah, you know, Saban said it's a game time decision, but they're they're planning on on those guys not playing. Mike, uh, big picture thoughts on what you saw on Saturday in College Station? Yeah, it was different. Um, <laughs> different than kind of what we had seen, and we, I don't say we put this team in a box, but I think it was fair to say through the first five games that 
you thought, all right, they need to run the ball, they need to control the clock, they need to play defense, they need to limit turnovers, and that's going to be their recipe for winning. Well, they had two turnovers, Milrose interception, Jermaine Burton's fumble. I mean, they didn't necessarily control the clock because they didn't run the ball very well. They played pretty good defense. There was a couple you know, lapses in the second quarter there. Um, and really what won them the game was their, their deep passing game, which, again, has been good. But just to kind of see them winning with 300-plus yards passing and some of the big explosive plays that they had was not really the formula that we thought this team was going to win by this year in general. And maybe it was, I think, in fact, a lot of it probably was specific to Texas A&M's defense where even going into the game, Saban said they're going to pressure a lot. Um, You need to be able to pick up that five-man rush, a lot of one-on-one blocks, and you need to be able to hit those plays down the field because they're going to be there. Well, that's what generally happened. I mean, they obviously still gave it five sacks, but they blocked well enough on those plays for those players to make the plays down the field. Miller obeyed the throw. The receivers made the catch. And um, we have kind of saw a different angle from Alabama. So whether that means this offense is dynamic and they can run the ball to win or pass the ball to win, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think they're kind of mediocre at both. Um, but, you know, I think the defense was was a story in the second half where you have the you know, A&M's down by a touchdown. They're backed up. And instead of letting up a touchdown drive, which keep in mind, that's what happened two years ago in the same situation in that game. They were up by seven. Zach Calzada got the ball, went down the field for a touchdown, tied the game. They they later won it. In this case, they went backwards. 16 yards, safety, becomes a two-possession game, and that was really you know the difference in the final five minutes. And uh, just... The development of Jalen Milrow. What, what what are you seeing? Uh, in, in, to me, he's just he's making strides each week. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. And statistically, it was somewhat controversial when I tweeted this yesterday. But he's ahead of where Bryce Young was through six games last year. You know, different <laughs> circumstances, somewhat in the sense that. You know, I think everybody was kind of trying to stop Bryce Young last year. I think in this case, they're probably trying to stop the running game more, and maybe those deep passes are there more for Miller. But his completion percentage is better than Bryce's through six games. His efficiency rating, yards per attempt, yards per completion, those are all better than than where Bryce was at this point last year. So I'm not saying he's Bryce Young, but that's, I think, better than what we thought we were going to see or get from, from Jalen Miller this year. There was supposed to be a big drop-off from Bryce, and I don't know if I've seen a, a huge drop-off. Obviously, I think it's the ability to see the field and not make those bad throws or mistakes that are still problematic for him. And then obviously, at the end of the game, not taking a knee, I think is that's a tough one on him where he's got to understand that situation and just take a knee. Yeah, there's a lot of people questioning that, but uh, not as much had it blown up in their face, and they didn't. I want to ask you one more question about that on the other side of the break, as long as you can stay. Mike, mm-hmm. you good with us? You got it. All right, thanks. Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7. Our guest, compliments of Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker, Advantage Realty Group. Back in a minute.
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cloudy sky, the chance of some light rain at times this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 75. Tonight's low, 58. Tomorrow, becoming partially sunny, the high, 72. Friday, occasionally cloudy, a chance of widely scattered showers, the high, 76. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Our guest is Mike Rodak, Bama 24-7. Mike, Lars and I have been talking about this with several other guests and callers first part of the week. Alabama was faced with a tough situation because Milrow made a mistake. Uh, he tried to pick up a quick first down and touchdown by throwing to a wide out and he ended up ground balling it or skipping it to the receiver. That killed the clock and it offered Texas A&M maybe a chance to have one last play. Alabama got to a fourth down with seven seconds remaining. What would be your I'm going to kill all seven seconds off this clock play? That's a good question. Uh, I think in his case, that was probably the best thing to do because you know that he can move around. You know, if it was I'll use a New England reference, Drew Bledsoe, you know, a guy who's kind of an immobile quarterback. Like, I don't know if I trust him, you know, free enough time by running around uh, for five or six seconds and then throwing the ball up. Um, So I think that was probably the best play for him. I mean, um, maybe you can do like a screen pass. And uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of risk involved once you start throwing the ball in that situation. If it's not just out of bounds, like, Honestly, I think you can probably take a knee, and even even if it leaves a couple seconds on the clock, three, four, five seconds, like from where they were, you know, it's twenty five yard line or so, thirty yard line. I would still like my chances to stop the final play um, and kind of play the odds there. But yeah, I mean, the whole the whole sequence was strange. I was sitting in the press box and ready to fire off my story at the end of the game, and McCullough got the first down. I'm thinking to myself, all right, like that's the game. I'm ready to hit publish here and. Uh, no, they're lining up and, and throwing the ball. I was confused. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think it's a combination of not a ton of experience on Jalen's part. Uh, so maybe he didn't realize or, or recognize the situation after he had just made a play and all that. Number two, I mean, in college, it's not like there's a there's no radio in your helmet, so there's no voice in your ear telling you what to do, which the NFL, that would probably be the case. Um, and obviously there was the factor of McClellan's knee, you know, hitting the ground as he was bobbling the ball. He caught it with his knee up, but that's why they were trying to rush to the line because they thought the play was going to get reviewed. Even then, I think you rush to the line and, you know, you, you take a knee. Um, I don't know if it, there's any, I don't see the value of even, you know, running a, a run play in that situation. Obviously look at what happened to Miami. Um, I, I think the only logical sequence there would have been to take three knees and, that's obviously why Saban was mad, and he called the timeout after that and ran out to the field and uh, let Milrow have it. So, um, again, one of those things that in the context of that game didn't really matter a whole lot, but it's one of those in a, a little bit closer game, a little bit more of an important game. You don't want those mistakes, just like against South Florida. Yeah, they won that game, but there was a play on special teams where they only had 10 guys in the field. If that happens in a, a more consequential situation, you know, Notre Dame, a few weeks ago with, with them only having 10 guys in the field at the goal line, that's going to mean something. So that's what Saban's point has been. Like, you can make all these mistakes right now, 
but they got to eliminate those if they want to be Georgia, if they want to go as far as they want to go here. Uh, you mentioned Miami, uh, Mario Cristobal. All they got to do is take a knee the last play and game is over. Instead, they hand the ball off and guy fumbles and unbelievably two plays later, <laughs> it's a touchdown. Miami mm-hmm. loses. Miami's now been knocked out of the national championship picture. Can you explain what happened there? Uh, and, and, you know, we, we've talked to a couple different coaches and I don't know if it's fair to put all the blame on Mario or Cristobal for, on this. Uh, but he certainly is taking the blame. Just, uh, your, your analysis of that just utterly baffling sequence. Yeah, it was, um, it was, I, I wasn't actually watching it. It was, uh, I was <laughs> back at the hotel, um, you know, hotel restaurant and, and writing my story, but I was sitting next to John Talty, my editor, and, and John was watching on his, on the TV or whatever, and was shocked. Like it was, it was a crazy sequence. Um, and so, like, I, I saw Cristobal's answer after the game. So I was trying to follow his logic on that one. I think he just kind of gave up and said, you know, we should have taken the D. Like, I think at first he was trying to explain the yardage or something was going on. And I, there was the only logical situation there was take a knee. Um, I, I've seen like theories that, you know, you don't trust the snap to Van Dyke or something like that. I, it, none of that makes sense to me. Like no. the easiest play in football <laughs> is to snap the ball to the quarterback and the quarterback to take a knee. Like there's, there's, that's the minimal risk. Um, and then it was, you know, it's Christian Leary of all people. I mean, the former Alabama wide receiver made that yeah. touchdown catch too, which is a little bit crazy, but, um, without having really seen that sequence live or, you know, analyze um, all the, the circumstances to it. I, I can't say too much on it. Hey, um, how does the SEC West line up to you now? Um, everybody was kind of, you know, him and hawing back after the Texas game, but Alabama is totally in control. They are, um, and it helps. You know, you have basically a two-game lead on A&M and Ole Miss because you have the tiebreaker on both. Um, obviously the LSU game is still going to be an issue because just, I think similar situation last year, I think it was where LSU, you win and you get the tiebreaker. So it's like taking a two, two games from it. Um, and that's really what gave LSU, um, you know, the title, the SEC West title last year. But keep in mind that losses cross divisionally would still count against you in the SEC West standings, which is what hurt Alabama last year. They lost to Tennessee and that, was their second loss that, you know, put them against LSU's one loss. So um, they still need to beat Tennessee, which is not – you can't just walk into the stadium and expect that. But that's It's still a pretty good Tennessee offense. They're, I'd say, one of the best rushing offenses in the country. Um, and then you still have to go on the road at Kentucky in November, which still just seems like a weird game. I know Kentucky, they're kind of Cinderella. Like, their, their time is always up this time of year. We saw that against Georgia. Like, they, they came crashing down to earth. There's still something weird to me about going to Lexington in November, the small stadium, probably going to be a little bit colder up there. Um, can this team kind of mentally, and Kentucky might not be in the picture by then either, like can they mentally get through that game? Um, a little bit of a trap game. So you still have to win both of those. And if you lose one of those, then you're letting the others in the SEC West right back in. Granted, Ole Miss still has to play Georgia. Uh, so that's a tough one for them as well. So – you know, right now it seems like oh, that Alabama's the you know the divisional favorite, but there's still enough football left, and there's still enough 
<laughs> there's still enough flaws to Alabama, and obviously we've seen them kind of do some dumb things this year uh, where it's a little bit too far away to really crown them. Um, Jermaine Burton, he uh, he torched A&M, absolutely torched A&M. Nine catches, 197 yards, two touchdowns. Did you see this kind of performance coming from him? And, uh, and, and, and also just the fact that he clearly has emerged as uh, Jalen's go-to wide receiver. I didn't really see it coming. I mean, it's, it's such a strange year for wide receivers and tight ends where you just don't know game to game who's going to do anything, really. Not just a big game, but really anything. Um, and Burton, obviously, last week, or you know, I guess two weeks ago now, Mississippi State, didn't really play because of a foot injury, as David said. And so you're not really sure how much he's going to play in this game. And he comes out, and you could tell like they were targeting him. They thought they had a matchup there. That A&M secondary was not very good. And, um, you know, they leaned on it all day. So, you know, does that carry over into next week, the week after? I mean, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Jalen Hale and the big game that he had. Um, you know, we've seen big games from Amari Nyblack. Uh, Isaiah Bond had a long touchdown pass, but there's just not a whole lot of week to week consistency on um, where you know those those yards are coming from receiving wise, and it's kind of reflected in their totals too. I mean, there's I don't think any of them in their top 100 right now for receiving yards. I could be wrong; I have to double check that. But it's uh, it's so spread out and it's so kind of erratic and irregular um, that I'm not really sure what it exactly means for Burton going forward. Final question for you, Mike. We'll let you get back to your furnace. But is Caleb Downs uh, even better than people anticipated? He's certainly good. I mean, it seemed like I, you know Pat McAfee keeps using the quote that he talked to Josh Chapman, you know, on the Alabama staff and his former teammate with the Colts, and um, you know, so basically said fit him for the gold jacket already. And uh, uh. yeah, I, the expectations have been so high, kind of coming in that it's like. Is he going to meet them? Um, I think he certainly met them. Like, I, I, it's almost tough to exceed them because they were so high. And, you know, it's one of those things, too. It's like we realized it right away with Will Anderson a few years ago. And you just kind of knew, like, from day one, that was going to be your guy. And it never really wavered. Like, I think Will Anderson got better over three years. But at the same time, like, he was still, from day one until the day he left, was a really good player. And I think that's probably where Caleb Downs is going to be. And, um, Funny thing is about college football is that he's probably going to be gone after three years. So, you know, we're, yeah. I guess, one-sixth of the way through his Alabama career already, which is strange to think, but uh, that's that's kind of the, the truth, and he's, he's a good one. Mike, where can people find you? The uh, Bama247.com and on X uh, at Mike Rodak. Awesome. Great stuff, Mike. Yeah. Really Mike. appreciate your time. Yes. You got it, guys. it forward with us for sure. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Bama 24-7, that's where you'll find Mike Rodak. Lars, as we go to break here, I'm reading a story about Tennessee's transition from Butch Jones to Jeremy Pruitt. You remember, there's a big beef made about how many scholarships were not going to be honored. I just read one that wasn't honored that dropped a bomb on me. Just read it over and over and over to make sure I had the facts right. Stay tuned for that story on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. 
championships. Throws intercepted Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. The Crimson Tide play here. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide take on Arkansas in an SEC showdown. Our coverage begins at 8 a.m. on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Hey, thanks for joining us. If you'd like to um, pick up the phone, call us for the last half hour, you're certainly welcome to do that. Number is 205-342-9904. Lars, reading this morning about the time when Butch Jones, they were going into Jeremy Pruitt. I'm sure, and we, I think we had done some shows back then when we only were uh, around together a couple of times a year, but seems like we may have even talked about it. But uh, uh, some of the uh, commitments um, were not being honored, if you will, with their commitment. They uh, were urged to seek another university. Did you read where one of them was Michael Penix Jr.? No, I did not see that. He had been up to Tampa. He had gone to their spring game. He loved Tennessee. He was quoted by Deep South as saying, this is where I want to be. I love the culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then the coaching change came, and Pruitt, those guys, a different offensive coordinator, they had another quarterback. I think his name was Shrout, C.J. Shrout or something like that. I don't know that for certain, so pardon me. C.J. Stroud? No, it was not. No, uh, it wasn't Stroud. No, I, I would have remembered that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was, but I need to probably go back and read it to make sure. But anyway, he ended up uh, decommitting Tennessee and committed to Indiana. And, of course, later he went to Washington. But you just never know um, what comes back around or gets you around. And... Um, because there was a cup, there was like a commitment from from the state of Alabama that they didn't want to um, hold on to, and it created quite a ruckus. And that wasn't a quarterback, obviously. But uh, what the other thing that amazes me about this story <clears throat> is the uh, recruit dates for these uh, bylines are 2017, and they're still playing in 2023. <laughs> Yeah, um, Michael Penix Jr., man, his story is just incredible, right? He ends up four years at Indiana. Uh, each of those seasons ended prematurely due to injury. He wanted a fresh start. Uh, Washington, they were uh, in the market for a, a veteran quarterback, and, uh, and, you know, Penix, he's, he's, he's talked about how a lot of people were calling him. They were DMing him about transferring. And then, uh, he heard from Washington. He's like, okay, this is going to be a perfect place for me. And now you look at the Huskies. Uh, they've been among the most explosive offenses in all of college football. They rank number one nationally in total offense, 500. 
69 yards a game, number one in passing yards, 446 a game, number three in scoring, 46 points a game. And in the process, you know, he, he goes from being an afterthought at Indiana. And I saw him play, right? I, I pay attention to the Big Ten because of Nebraska, and I Nebraska plays Indiana every year. And he was just another guy at Indiana, right? But now at Washington, he has just absolutely transformed. I mean, granted, they have they have really good wide receivers and a good offensive line. He's got a great supporting cast. But um, he, right now, and you have been touting him since about the second week of the season. I give you credit. But he is by far and away the leading Heisman Trophy candidate. And uh, and we talked about this briefly yesterday. I think the Heisman gets decided on Saturday. I really yeah. do. When uh, the Huskies are ranked number seven, they host Oregon number eight. And uh, this matchup, oh, it's, it's this is going to be a, a doozy. I mean, uh, Oregon has the second best offense in the country, led by Bo Nix. And Washington, like I just said, they have the first uh, ranked offense in the in the nation uh, by with with uh, um, with Penix and um, yeah, I mean just uh, a, an amazing amazing story that uh, um, you know Penix, his dad played running back at Tennessee Tech. Uh, he had an uncle who played at South Florida, and he started playing football when he was like five years old. Uh, grew up in Tampa and he always wanted to play in the SEC. And as you just mentioned, he committed to Tennessee under, uh, Butch Jones prior to his junior year in the spring of 2017. And he spent the next two years preparing to go to Knoxville. And then the coaching change, uh, Jones is out, Jeremy Pruitt's in. And, uh, and this is according to, uh, to Penix. He said, the new coach comes in and you're like, okay, I'm about to sign. And he said, I'm about to sign a couple of weeks. And then the guy didn't, <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt didn't get back to him. And then Penix eventually learned through his high school coach, through his high school coach that his offer was pulled. Jeremy Pruitt, oh. what the hell are you doing? He learns this through his high school coach. And instead, and that's Michael Penix Jr. No, and so instead, Tennessee they signed J.T. Strout, uh, Shrout, just like you said, S H R O U T. He made eight appearances in four years, um, and then he played the 2022 season at Colorado. He's now at Arkansas State, and so Penix, like at the last second, right? He got totally screwed by Jeremy Pruitt. And what do you do? Uh, he uh, the, all the scholarship offers have been, basically been pulled because all, all all the slots have been filled, right? Because quarterback, you you build your recruiting class around a quarterback, and so ultimately he decided between Indiana and Florida State, and uh, he ended up uh, choosing Indiana because he had a really close relationship with a, a grad assistant named Nick Sheridan, and. Um, and then, you know, he, he played a little bit as a true freshman and, and then kept playing more and more and more. And then, you know, he, he tore his ACL and he just, he had injury problems, right? And, uh, but he, he showed flashes, right? Of, uh, being pretty, pretty good. Um, I think it was, uh, his junior year. He, 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 Indiana started off five and one. 
his QBR rating. Uh, it was right there with uh, Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Herbert and, and Brock Purdy. By the way, those three guys are doing pretty well in the NFL right now. And really all three of them become franchise quarterbacks. And, um, and Penix, uh, you know, uh, it just, uh, again, injuries and, and just some upheaval in Indiana. But it's just great that he finally, finally has like found a home in Washington and is flourishing. And the story is, you know, it's, it, it, the, the details are different, right? When it comes to Bo Nix, but Bo Nix, he had to go west as well. And, uh, in, in, man, like, I, I'm so excited for this game on Saturday. I haven't been this pumped about a, a Pac-12 uh, game in a I, long I time. Either. In Me a either. long, long time. And, you know, just because you and I have a relationship with the Knicks family, I, I, I'm certainly pulling for, for Bo and, and Oregon, but you also just, you have to respect the journey that Penix has gone on in his career and, and the adversity and the challenges that he's had to overcome. And it's, uh, it, it's really just a, a great story on both sides. And, uh, and I, I, I really do think that, uh, what happens on Saturday, uh, will go a long way toward, uh, determining who wins the Heisman and also which team from the Pac-12 emerges and, uh, and makes it to the college football playoffs. And is it possible, as, uh, one of our guests mentioned yesterday, what if Alabama runs the table, beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, but without one loss, a bad loss to Texas at home, they don't make the playoffs. I think it's a possibility. It's it's unlikely, but it's a possibility. Yeah, y'all talked about that yesterday, and I still got a brow raised on that one. Something else we talked about yesterday, Lars, you proved to be very prophetic, and I'm not even sure you knew it or know it. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break as you listen to Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cloudy sky, the chance of some light rain at times this afternoon and tonight. The high today 75, tonight's low 58. Tomorrow becoming partially sunny, the high 72. Friday, occasionally cloudy, a chance of widely scattered showers, the high 76. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley's Dancing Union Home Mortgage. It's Matt, Lars, and Justin. Yesterday we were talking about the Braves because the night before they had just that fantastic, uh, unbelievable, I'll watch it the rest of my life finish in their win over the Philadelphia Phillies. That enabled Atlanta to even their series at 1-1 and they were woefully short, uh, woefully close to going down 2-0 and going back to Philadelphia. But that didn't happen, as we know. But when we were talking about that, Lars asked a question, asked me if I thought that these long layoffs for those that have won their divisions, had the best record in their league, were hurting the teams because they hadn't been on the field and the others have. Well, you know what happened? After you mentioned that, Lars, 
everybody, every baseball writer in the nation started writing about it because they were listening <laughs> to this show. And they're pointing out the fact that these long layovers, in this case, 11 days without playing a real baseball game. Now, that's a long time. That's time enough to get stale. And that's what's happened. Listen, the Orioles had the best record in the American League. You know where they are right now, Lars? They're at home. They mm -hmm. got swept by the Rangers 3-0. The Dodgers, second best in the National League, 100-plus wins in the season. They're down 2-0 and face elimination this afternoon against the Diamondbacks, who won 84 games in the regular season. Now, the Astros are the only one that have actually managed to take the lead, but they were even with the Twins 1-1. The Astros are now up 2-1. So, uh, I've given you all the information, but I think you, you must have had your wizard hat on yesterday because now that's the whole baseball buzz is that these teams are the best in their leagues and are penalized for the long layoff. So, way to go, Lars. Well, it's not like the most original thought in the world. Uh, you know, people have been debating this for a long time and, uh, you know, it, it, and it's it, 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 it raises the question. It raises the question, like, you know, how do you maintain your sharpness during the long layoff? Can you do it with, uh, mock games? Uh, you know, what, just what, what can you do? But hey, let's look at tonight. Um, Game three, Braves Phillies. Uh, I think first pitch is like about four fifteen central on TBS. Braves are going right. uh, with uh, Bryce Elder, right? Uh, and he was an All Star this year, but uh, from what I gather, he little fatigue down the stretch. Um, they could have gone with the rookie AJ Smith uh, Shaver, uh, but they're going with Bryce Elder. Elder is facing Aaron Nola, and I Ouch. know that Philly Philly loves this uh, in that he uh, just last Wednesday uh, he pitched seven scoreless innings against Miami, and he's been up and down this season. But I know the Phillies believe that he's really uh, found his hit his groove, and you just look in his last three starts, Nola is one and zero with a one point three seven ERA struck out 19 and walked one over 19 and two-thirds innings. So you would think pitching favors Philly tonight, but yes, you're yeah, you're 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 the expert. You well, have the, the you guy. have the floor. You have the it's floor. The, it's the last guy that Atlanta wanted to face. Not only because of the statistics that you just mentioned, but he's kind of been a brave killer. Um, so, uh, already walking into Philadelphia, we got that going or not going for us. But Elder, if he can get back to midseason form tonight, this afternoon, then I, I think Atlanta will be okay. The main deal in this is, and I know pitching wins games, and pitching, pitching certainly wins postseason. But Atlanta, they got two big home runs the other night against Philadelphia. But other than that, they have not hit very well. So they got to bring the bats out of the, you know, out of the box and start slugging it around. And it's extremely important to do that tonight because they better get a good start. They better hang a couple of runs on Nola early. Because, by the way, did you know Nola was from New Orleans? 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I did. That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, that's, uh, it is a good one. But it, it, the Braves need to get the bats out, and then that will that will give Elder, who's still young, um, that will give him some confidence going up against, good grief, a very potent Philadelphia Phillies batting order, which, of course, includes everybody's favorite, Bryce um, Harper. I keep yeah. when I say Bryce, I want to say Young. Yeah, it's I Bryce know. Bryce Harper, and there yeah. are no two people could might be more different than and, Young and Harper. Uh, um, so in football, both in college and pro, you see momentum carry over from one week to the next, right? You see teams just sort of get hot, especially in the NFL. Uh, where there's so much parity, but then you'll have a team rip off four, five, six straight wins. In baseball, is it the same thing? Or is it not because it's so, especially in the postseason, it's so dependent on who's on the mound, right? Like uh, good pitching beats good hitting every day of the week, correct? True. But uh, here's, here's the deal. Um... Baseball plays every day. Now, occasionally, they'll get a day off. But they basically play every day from April through October, through the end of September, early October. Every day. And now, if you suddenly don't play for 11 days, I don't think you have to be a baseball rocket scientist, if there is such a thing, to figure out that's going to hurt you. The other teams, then they're they're playing. They're on top of their game. And they are also trying to be at the edge of their game so they can survive in advance. I have not read any possible solutions to this. But I have one, and it is uh, in its very first draft. But, you know, they want to have more playoff games, right, Lars? Mm-hmm. And why do they want more playoff games? Mean dollar green. I mean, that's all about the, the bananas, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, what if you allowed the teams to play some two of three coming straight out of their season? If you're the Braves, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, it doesn't matter. You go ahead and you play a couple of days after the end of the season. And maybe you just give a huge home field advantage to the teams that win, like Atlanta and Baltimore. Let's say they open up with a... And, and then you also play the teams with the absolute worst records. So you can try and balance it out there. But, and this may not fall on uh, fond ears, but, and why not let the Braves play all three of those games at home if necessary? Why not let the Orioles do that? I don't know. It's a very young theory, but I do believe they have to cut down the number of days off from 11 to a workable three or four, or uh, it's going to continue to cause problems because, it spells it all out this year. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it has been uh, dramatically rendered of uh, what's happening here with the layoff. And you got to you feel hor- I gotta feel horrible for Baltimore. But they won 104 games and uh, they're out uh, going against a Texas team that, um, you know, Troy Aikman the other night on Monday night or on uh I don't know if it's Monday Night Football, but he was saying, ah, what about my Rangers? And Jen Buck said, can you name three? 
players on that team and Troy Aikman oh. uh, he uh, he uh, he lawyered up and uh, didn't uh, have a direct ah. answer hey but but hey let's say uh, worst case here for Atlanta fans Atlanta loses tonight who do they throw uh, game four in a must win situation oh man I don't know um you like I think they'd go ahead and throw Spencer again you think so uh, I mean because yeah. that's that's a game that you. Well, I mean, if you lose it, you're out. What's your prediction for tonight? I think Atlanta will do exactly what I just asked them to do, and that score early, rough up Nola. That's a very difficult task, but Snit knows the way to do this. Uh, he'll implement it and see the Braves can execute, and the Braves are going to win this one. And um, but then you know they got another one in Philly, so we'll see. It's great. Nola's from, Nola's from Baton Rouge, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Not. Uh, yeah. Close enough. Nola from uh, almost Nola. But yeah, and he played at LSU. That I'm almost positive of. So anyway, uh, Lawrence, great show. Our thanks to Mike Rodak and to always to uh, Justin Jones. We'll do this again in 22 hours. You've been listening to Big Noon Sports, and we thank you.